This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 376. And the quote of the day is, intelligence is the ability to adapt and change. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. This is episode 376 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope you're well. Hope you had an awesome weekend. And I want to thank all of you for the recent comments, the ratings, the reviews, the text messages, the direct messages, all that fun stuff about the episodes. I'm loving the feedback and I'm enjoying hearing that you guys are loving all the content as well. So thank you so much for that. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or review. You can do it on iTunes. It takes about a minute. You just go to iTunes, search for Drummer's Resource, click on leave a rating and review, and you can either just leave a one to five star rating, whatever you want, or you can also write a comment. The comment are great. So if you can put that on there, I would appreciate that as well. But uh, for all of you who have already, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And it also helps the podcast show up higher in the search results and all that stuff. So it gets the word out about the show. Speaking of the show, let's get into it. And this is with Wayne Salzman. And Wayne may be someone who flies a little bit under the radar. And I don't think that's going to be the case for much longer. He's He's had over... 20 years of experience playing and he's an active teacher. He's an active clinician and he also has been touring the world with Eric Johnson, but he's also worked with Steve Miller, Kenny Rogers, Chris Christopherson, Christopher Cross, Eric Johnson, Joe Satriani, Mike Stern, Joe Bonamassa, a long list of amazing A-list players. He just recently performed at the Percussive Arts Society International Convention, aka PASIC. He did a, a clinic there as well. So the man is busy and the man is the real deal. And this is a really great conversation. We talk about what it's like to be a ground level working guy uh, who, like I said, may be flying under the radar a bit, but I don't think that's going to be the case for much longer because he is definitely making a huge name for himself and has been over the last few years. And let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Wayne Salzman. Wayne, what's up, brother? How are you? Hey, I'm great, man. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for being here. So how's uh, how's Austin? Is it good? It's good. Uh, it's unusually cold right now. It's actually frozen, which almost never happens. Oh, uh, really? But yeah. Yeah. I think a couple That's years good. ago, I was flying. I forget where I was flying from. I think I was flying. I was flying from LA to Florida, and I had a layover, and I had a layover in Texas, and my flight and my layover, or I guess the flight from LA to Texas got canceled because of snow. And this is how stupid I am. I was like, I didn't know it snowed in Texas. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it, I think in Dallas, maybe it does a little more, but in Austin, it's really rare. Yeah. Like in, I've been here for 10 years and I've seen snow on the ground like two or maybe three times. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I just figured it didn't snow. I, I always think of like, I always think of Texas as just being like a hundred and like uh, dry all the time. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know why I know, like I've been to Texas. I know that like it's, it's a big state and it's like, it, there's different climates and everything. That's just like, as soon yeah, as I hear course. Texas, I'm like, I think of like Amarillo and it's like 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's why I'm a drummer and not a meteorologist. So sure. Um, so you are an Elsa now, but you didn't you didn't start there. So let's talk. I want to get a little bit of backstory to to build some context for people who are listening who may not know who you are, don't know a lot about your story. Um, so yeah. So talk about you know where you grew up and and how you got into playing. Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in in a small town called Nina, Wisconsin. Um, about 30,000 people. And, um, I got into playing, uh, my dad was a drummer, which I know is a very common thing on this podcast from yeah. so many I've listened to. That's like almost always the case. Somebody in the family was a drummer, but so my dad was a drummer and I, I just took a liking to the drums pretty early. I think I started really playing when I was maybe about nine Mm-hmm. And I just got really serious about it pretty fast and I started practicing all the time and starting bands uh, just with some neighborhood friends. And Was your dad a professional then, drummer or he just he did it on the side? No, or he just played for fun. I mean, yeah. he played in some bands and he was actually pretty good. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard some recordings of, of him and he can still play. He doesn't really much anymore, but he, he still can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, I just and then I got involved in uh, the, some school music programs, and and it turned out that the city that I grew up in had really strong music programs, and I didn't really realize that until much later. Um, but I was super fortunate to come up in that where I had opportunities to play in jazz band and vocal jazz ensembles and musical pits and marching mm-hmm. band, uh, you know everything. There were all kinds of opportunities for me to play. Um, so I'm a big supporter of music in the schools, you know, right. Of course, without that, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then, you know, I met, uh, some friends and we started a band in high school and then we continued that band through college. So we all went to the same music school in college and we played and toured and made records for almost 10 years together. Yeah. Uh, just the same four guys. And like, if one, if one of the guys couldn't do the gig, we didn't do the gig. You know, there right. were no subs in that band. It was, yeah. it was a band. It was a band. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so, so that school, by the way, was the university of Wisconsin in Stevens point, mm-hmm. which again is a pretty small school right in the middle of the state, but they had a really strong jazz program. And, um, I studied with a teacher there named Ryan Korb, who uh, actually I, I started studying with him when I was in high school. And and uh, again, I was fortunate to, to hook up with him because he was really pretty strict and pretty tough about uh, technique and touch and, and, and sound and stuff like that. And so I got my sort of foundation stuff out of the way early, early, you know, yeah, I started, yeah. I think I started studying with him maybe when I was like 14. Um, and I was like practicing rudiments every day for an hour a day, just on rudiments. And then an hour a day on Wilcoxon and an hour a day on stick control. You know, I was practicing a and lot. And that is, I mean, that's young, that's young to be doing that stuff. Like, you know, yeah. And I, like, I started a little late. I didn't start until I, I didn't start playing until I was 15. Um, okay. But, but even then, I think that, you know, even the guys who I knew who were playing drums at that age, even if they'd been playing for a while, like they weren't playing the Wilcoxon book, you know, they weren't playing right. like all this crazy. They were just like learning whatever, you know, they were learning like Matchbox 20 songs. and you know, Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I was definitely doing that. I mean, I was, I was 
my first love really was was punk music so my first bands were punk bands Mm -hmm. and and then from there it was kind of like rock 90s rock you know um and my earliest influences really were uh the music that my parents listened to so led zeppelin and Jimi hendrix and the beatles who and paul simon was was huge for me when i was a kid still is (laughs) right um so I was definitely playing that stuff kind of on my own time, but but I had a teacher who like helped me to be really structured in my practice, mm-hmm. and uh, that was super helpful. I, I think I was a little bit of a weird kid because I really dug practicing rudiments for an hour a day, and now it's really? like... Yeah, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to find a fourteen-year-old kid who loves playing rudiments every yeah. day, <laughs> you know. But I was into it. I wanted. I'm to a thirty-seven-year-old like... guy who doesn't like playing rudiments. <laughs> for an hour yeah. Wait sure. a minute. I'm thirty-six. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, there you go. I was added uh, too much, too much time on yeah. my life. Um, but you know, I was into like really trying to maximize the rebound or like get them just a couple clicks faster and stay relaxed or whatever. It was like a a fun, cool challenge for me. Uh, and same thing with like the Wilcox and it was like, okay, can I make this phrase sound musical and can I do it? it can I be totally relaxed and, mm-hmm. and, and, and have all the notes connect to the right. accents or whatever, you know? Um, do you, so, was so there I a was time, perfect. sorry to interrupt, but I want to ask you sure, about this. No was there a time when you're practicing that at, cause this happened for me and I am, I'm curious if it happened for you that, uh-huh where you sort of find this Zen moment where you're practicing and like all of a sudden it clicks. Like you're either like you're playing a paradiddle and all of a sudden like the bounce, the rebound happens and you're like, definitely. I mean, Oh my God, what was, what was that? What what was that? And then you're like, I got, and then it becomes like addicted. And you're like, I got to get that feeling again. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I kind of live for those moments. Honestly, it's like, uh, I appreciate them so much. And, and I can remember specifically some of them, like, like for instance, I remember the moment vividly when I realized that, and this is like getting super drum nerdy. So I I hope everybody (laughs) can hang with this, but, but the moment that I realized that alternating flams were the same as a double stroke roll, Mm. meaning like the motion required from your hands is the same. The timing is offset. Right. Right. The motion that your hands are doing, it's exactly the same. And then all of a sudden that clicked and I realized that again, this was, I was probably 14 years old or something. Mm. And then all of a sudden I could do alternating flams as fast as I could do a double stroke roll. Right. You know, that's just one that, that popped into my head. But, but, you know, I think about this all the time where, uh, people, students, a lot of times, um, seem to be kind of like fearful of the work. And I think that, is a a trap. You know, I think you can't be fearful of the work because putting the time in and doing the work on the instrument, that's where all of the benefits are. That's Mm -hmm. where the joy is of finding your sound and discovering new music and playing with people and being spontaneous and, and like really finding the love of music. It's in the work, you know, (laughs) why do you, and I have my own opinions on this and I'd love to hear yours. What do you, sure. Why do you think people are afraid of the work? Um, because it's hard to get into, Mm -hmm. um, it, and it takes a while before there's payoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you, you really have to dedicate a lot of time and a lot of energy to, 
um, focusing on your craft, no matter what it is, mm -hmm. before you really start to reap the benefits. But once they come in, they just keep rolling, and then it's inspiring, and it makes you want to continue to work. But, you know, I think it was Wynton Marsalis said, um, the hardest part about practicing is the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And the point is, of course, that he's right. Like, it's hard to start practicing. Yes. Once you get behind the kit and you're like, oh, this is great. This is fun. You can play along with records, do whatever. But it's like getting yourself behind the kit or on the pad or whatever that sometimes is the challenge. Man, I'll never forget. I, and this is this is a weird um, analogy, but this this was like one of the most profound moments of my life. <laughs> this is a bold statement. I was at the gym. And I walk into the locker room and I see this dude in there and I saw him there like the day before and the day before. Right. And okay. I think it was like the beginning of the year. And I'd, I've always been like, I've had this like on again, off again relationship with working out and everything. I'd be good now, but like I would like show sure. for three weeks and then I would leave, you know, and he's like, man, he's like three days in a row. And I was like, yeah, you too. And I was like, man, I just, you know, I'm always, it's such a struggle to get here and everything. And he was like, he looked at me and he goes, the hardest part about going to the gym is just going to the gym. And right. <laughs> it's such a simple concept, but I was like, I, like, that's it. Like all you got, you just got to go. Like you just got to get into the practice room. You just got to sit right. down with the sticks. Like Michael Carvin, who I had on the podcast, uh, yeah. same deal. He's like, if you, you know, I said, how long do you think people should practice? And he was like, five minutes. He's like, just sit down right. and play for five minutes. He's like, because that five uh -huh. minutes is going to turn into whatever it's going to turn into. Yeah. But like, if you, you can't, enjoy it. Yeah. If you don't right? start, though, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy playing the drums, then you're in the wrong business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so like. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow for some people, but, but yeah, if, if it's not fun to play the instrument or to play music, do something else. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. cause it, it, as you go, as uh, you know, as you know, and probably many of the listeners know, it can become a real grind to be in the music industry, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so you have to really, really love playing. Yeah, I think there's a uh, uh, there's a there's a book that I read um, this guy, Darren Hardy, and he was talking about it was a business book, but he was talking about, you know, all, you see all these like famous people who seem like they have these great lives. He's like, you know, you look at like Oprah or like or uh, Richard Branson, who owns like Virgin, you know, all the Virgin brands uh -huh. and all that stuff. And yep. he's like, and you look at all these guys and you're like, man, they just get up every day and they love what they do all day. And he's like, let me tell you. 60 to 70% of their day is them doing things that they don't want to do. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I think that people are like, oh, you're a professional drummer. You just like get up and just play drums all day and just like hang out. And, you know, it's like, no. Right. There's work. There's a yeah. lot of, and I'm sure that there's stuff that you have to do every day that you're like, you know, I really don't feel like doing this, but I got to do course. it anyway. You know? Yeah. Sitting in traffic, sitting in airports. You know, yep. being on a bus, waiting for sound check, waiting for load in. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. it all, there's a lot of downtime. So often, what you do know? you think about the, I, I, I want your opinion on this. I think that the reason why people are afraid of the hard work is because they think to themselves, what happens if I put all of this work in and it doesn't work out? And yeah, and you don't make it or whatever. Quote unquote, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess nobody can see me. So when I do that, I have to say, quote unquote. <laughs> I just noticed, I was like, he's doing that. I'll just throw that in. <laughs> yeah. I'm right. like, I'm, I'm narrating your, uh, your hand. Exactly. Expressions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not your first rodeo. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so 
I think that's a real fear for people. But um, in in my experience, uh, you can always play. And in my experience, making it means being able to play music that you like with people that you like, mm-hmm. you know, or there's sort of, uh, there's the trifecta of the music business. It's like, there's the music and the hang and the money, mm-hmm. right? So if, and the rule kind of is that if two of the three are good enough, then you take the gig. <laughs> so like I'll play music, great music with my best friends for no money. Right. 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 Or I'll play uh, music with, with good people, uh, bad, bad music with good people for a lot of money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, it's like, you kind of have to have two of the three, or if one of the three is outrageous, like crazy money and, and people you don't really care for and music that is not super fun, right. maybe you'll still do the gig. Right. Sure. Um, but, uh, to me, success is, is, uh, being able to do something that you love and play, you know, for me, it's like, if I can play music that I'm passionate about with people who I like being around, that's successful to me. That's mm-hmm. kind of making it right. And if I can support my family, which I've been able to do, I've never done anything else, uh, in my 20 plus years of, of playing the drums. I've never done anything other than play and teach. Right. And mm-hmm. so I've been able to support my family and, and do that and play music that I like with people who I like and teach students who are inspired, you know, mm-hmm. who are working hard and making great music and great art, you know? Um, and I will say I didn't have to move to New York city to do that. I didn't have to move to LA. I didn't have to go to some, some big name school, Um, I just worked hard at it all the time and I pursued every opportunity I had. Um, somebody, uh, who was it? I think it was Rich Redmond just recently, uh, said you have to say yes to everything until you have the luxury of saying no. Yeah. And I thought that was brilliant. It's like, of course, that's what everybody does or did. That's what I did for, you know, 15 years of gigging probably, Mm -hmm. um, was if I could possibly physically be there, I was going to take the gig, you know? Um, and I did that forever. And it was even when I was living in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, I was playing five nights a week the whole time I was in college. I was playing five nights a week, right? you know, and it was because I was pursuing opportunities and in some, in some cases trying to create opportunities to be Mm -hmm. able to play. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, people have these different definitions or ideas of maybe what success is as a drummer. And I guess it is different for everybody. But, um, to me, if, if you can, uh, make a living playing music, you want to play, then you're doing it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't I think even if be. you're, yeah, I think even if it's not your full-time gig, but you're, yeah, but you know, no, you're, that's definitely true. Yeah, that's definitely true. Cause I, I know plenty of fantastic musicians who have day gigs and mm-hmm. they only play the music they want to play and yeah. they don't have to hustle for money. And that, that is a different thing because even and there's still, some freedom in that, man, there's some like, there's yeah, some real absolutely. freedom to be like, Hey, do you want to do this gig? And you're like, nah, not really. I don't need the money. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do right. it. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's only been like in the last maybe five years that I started saying no to stuff. It's right. like getting kind of bigger name gigs and touring and, and making a little more money on those gigs. So, so I didn't have to do the, the, uh, you know, coffee house gig or whatever. Sure. And so, 
Um, but believe me, I did those gigs for, (laughs) you know, 15 years. I took everything I could and, and, you know, it all comes together to kind of, uh, create your musical palette and give you all this stuff that you can draw from. Mm -hmm. I was going to mention that probably the best guitar player I know that, I, I mean, the best guitar player I've ever played with ever, uh, works at Boeing. You know, there you go. <laughs> and it's like, and he's a monster, you know, like he ter- taught at Berkeley and, and all that stuff. But like, wow. uh, he was like, went and got a day gig and like works at Berkeley and he'll like, yeah. I'll put him up against anyone, anyone. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, it happens in every city. There are people like that for sure. I think. And so, then there are people who are hustling gigs until they're at retirement age with yeah. no retirement to fall back on. Yeah. That's a, that's tough too. <laughs> so I want to, I want to talk to you about that. Let's put a, I want to put a thumbtack in that because the one thing that you had mentioned that I think is important for people to hear is you said I was seeking opportunities or creating opportunities and I get sure. inundated with emails about how do I get more gigs? How do I create more gigs? And for me, my thing has always been just like, all right, if you don't have gigs, then start a band and start booking gigs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just do that. That's the first step really. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it. You, you don't get gigs, um, sitting in the practice room. Right. Uh, but at the same time, you have to put in your time on your instrument to be proficient enough to be able to play with other people. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of a given. You just have to spend some years shedding and, and getting, uh, your foundation together. Right. And then once you have that, or maybe even before you have that, just start playing with people for fun. Um, that's what I always did. I was, I've always been in bands. I've always gotten together with friends and played, um, and then we started writing songs together and learning a bunch of covers. And then, and then we just started going out to places and literally just walking in the door and saying, Hey, can we play here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, do you guys have music here? No. Oh, you want to try out a jazz trio or, or a bar? Hey, we know a bunch of cover songs. Uh, we could come in and play for whatever and negotiate the money, um, or places that were established and had bands. Um, you know, we would kind of get on the list of, of, of bands that they would call or whatever. But, but definitely, uh, we were, and I specifically was active, like going to venues, restaurants, coffee shops, bars, and just meeting the people and not being super pushy. Like, Hey, I've got this awesome band and, and you know, you gotta have me in here. It's going to change your life. You know, <laughs> not that kind of thing. That at was all. my approach. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. Because of course that's not going to work because nobody wants to deal with somebody who's going to act like that. Right. But I would go in and have CDs. Like I had a CD of the jazz trio that I would bring to like restaurants and coffee mm-hmm. shops. And I had a CD of the band. Um, and I would say like, you know, this is the deal the, this band has a, a mailing list, which we had at that time of a thousand people. It's like, we will definitely bring people in here, right. but if you, it takes time to build that. So if you don't have that, we would just say, okay, uh, you know, try us out. We'll work a deal with you for the first time. If you like it, if it works, we'll come back and maybe renegotiate the terms right. or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, give them a business card, which now is like, doesn't even exist, but, uh, now there's, there's way more opportunity online too. Um, so one thing I tell my students is, um, get some online presence, get, mm-hmm. get a website. Like it's, it's cheap to have a website. My website 
paid for itself probably in the first week, you know, right. just from students contacting me. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're available online, people know where to find you. And your um, credibility, I think your credibility goes out the window a little bit if you don't have a website. Sure. Unless you're an old master. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's you're like, like it, if you're Steve Gadd, I mean, I think Steve Gadd has a website from like 1994, yeah. but like right. Steve Gadd doesn't need a website. You know, but if someone contacts you and says, hey, man, like, hey, Wayne, I'm a guitar player and I want you to come play these gigs with me. Okay, what's your name? Okay, Nick Ruffini. Let me look him up. And it's like, there's nothing online about this dude. Nothing. Uh You know? Yeah, I mean, that's the world we live in. The first thing people do is is Google your name. Right. Right. And just see what comes up. So if you have a good website with professional photos and some good video or, you know, professionally recorded stuff or it doesn't even have to be professionally recorded it just has to sound good mm-hmm. right and 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 that is your calling card now it's like come to my website see these things here that i can play in time and get a good sound mm-hmm. right <laughs> right um so yeah i think that's an important thing too for for people trying to figure out how to get more gigs or get more work you need to have some online presence mm-hmm. and show people what it is that you do um and make it easy for them to find you Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but at the same time, you have to be active and, and go out just in the community and just try to get gigs. Go out. Another huge one is if you're not friends with musicians and you're not in a music school or something like that, go out to jam sessions. You know, every every major city has a bunch of jam sessions and even small cities have jam sessions. And if they don't start one, yeah. go to the coffee shop and say, Hey, can I start a jam session here? Like I'll be the host and I'll like make sure it doesn't get out of control. And you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, a student of mine just started a jam session here in Austin a couple of weeks ago and it's been going great. I've been hearing all kinds of buzz about it, you know? Uh, just because he wanted to start another jam session. There are a bunch of great if, ones in Austin. And if you're the host, you can get paid for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're in the house band, you get yeah. paid to do the jam session. Right. So now it's a gig. Um, yeah, exactly. It is a gig. So yeah, there are there are lots of ways to do it. But I think, again, you can't be afraid of the work. You just have to go out and be proactive and, and get yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said, the first, you know, or like Wenton, Wenton Marcel said, the first 10 minutes of practice is the hardest. So it's sort of, you know, the first restaurant that you go to is going to be the hardest, but the second one's right. going to get a little bit easier. The third one's going to get yeah. a little bit easier by the 20th or third. You're just like, you know, you're, you're a master at it. You're a pro. Right. And you know, you might go to 20 restaurants and you might only get one gig out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. But so some people might look at that as 19 rejections. I look at that as now I got a gig. Yep. <laughs> right. I, how do you, you have a positive attitude about it and you, you're focused and, and you are, you know, you're dedicated to making this work for yourself. And it's, it's, I, I think it's hard to instill that in someone unless they change their mindset a little bit. Um, do you deal yeah, with, maybe so. do you deal with that with any of your students or do you have advice for, for people who are, because here's, let me, let's just sort of role play. You're saying, okay, you can go do this stuff. And I can say, well, I'm an introvert or, you know, I don't live in a, I don't live in a, I live in a small town or like, I'm, you know, I can't like, I can't practice all the time because of some excuse number one or excuse number two or something like that. Yeah. And then it's like, well, how, but how come I'm not making it? 
<laughs> yeah, that's it's tough. Um, and I guess I have sort of always had a positive attitude. And not that I don't get down on stuff, because everybody does. But um, but I guess I have had some students who who have had sort of a rough time, you know, getting accepted into a music community or getting gigs for for one reason or another. Um, but the the one thing that always remains is that. If, if you are, um, steadfast <laughs> in your, um, commitment, something will always come out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think excuses are just that, you know, they're, uh, I don't think it, nobody wants to hear them and it never benefits you in any way to have an excuse for, for anything really saying, Oh, I'm in a small town. I grew up in a small town of 30,000 people. And I was playing five nights a week because I was now I wasn't playing five nights a week in the same city. I Mm -hmm. was driving to Madison, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Chicago, uh, all, all over the place to play gigs because there aren't five nights a week worth of gigs in Nina, Wisconsin. Right. But there are in the neighboring cities, mm-hmm. Stevens Point and Appleton and whatever else, you know, I played in all those cities. And, uh, and so that's how I kind of put it together. Um, but you know, everybody's got their, their excuses about different things. And, and I think, yeah, I'm an introvert. I, maybe that is true, but you have to have some sort of like go getter mentality to be able to be a self-employed musician, like Mm -hmm. a sideman. You have to, you cannot just sit in a room by yourself. And even if that means just like reaching out to one other musician who you think is cool, who plays in the jazz band or, or, you know, just getting the courage to go up to a band that you admire and meet the members of the band. Mm -hmm. Just if you're old enough to drink or buy him a drink, go buy him a drink, you know, and, and just, just hang. Uh, so, so, you know, without any specific, uh, um, details of like what, of what to overcome, it's a little hard for me to say, but I, I think a lot of times it's just, it just sort of comes down to laziness, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and if you really want to be successful, you have to, um, be proactive about getting better, learning more, getting more experience, getting yourself out there. Um, the whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Apex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. You're listening to this episode 100% free because we have great sponsors. And I ask that as a Drummer's Resource Podcast listener, if you support the people who support the podcast. One of them is Promark Drumsticks. They've been supporting this podcast for a very long time, and they have just made 
a revolutionary drumstick with their new fire grain technology. This is a heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep their original weight, balance, and feel and allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. There's no excess vibration. There's no space age gimmick. Just natural hickory hardened by flame. Unlike other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibration, fire grain drumsticks retain natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from a regular hickory drumstick. You're available in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to promark.com. And let's get back into it with Wayne Salzman. What are some of the stuff that some of the things that you either struggled with before or struggle with now? Was it, you know, living in a small town? Was it everyone has obstacles they have to to overcome? But were were there some obstacles that you can think of that really stick out that that that, that were challenging for you? Hmm. Um, do you mean career wise or playing wise? Sure. Either one? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think they're one and the same in terms of if you sort of have to have both things worked out. I remember Russ Miller saying, you know, you got to know how to blend art and commerce. So a lot of guys have the playing figured out, but can't figure out their career. Or a lot of guys have their career figured out, but don't really play that well. The deadly combo, I think, is getting them those two together and being able yeah, to Yeah, definitely. That out. So, you know, there were things for me, I mean, I've had many uh, musical challenges. First of all, I never had any like training when I was young. Like I didn't play piano when I was a kid or mm-hmm. anything like that. So um, I actually got put into the music program because I could already play the drum set. Like I just taught myself how to play beats and right. stuff. But I didn't know how to read music. I didn't know how to play piano. And that was actually a requirement. So when I got into the band program, I was way behind. I couldn't read at all. Mm. And I would just like fake reading the snare drum part. I would just play High something. High school or college? Uh, that, that was in middle school. Middle I would school. just fake. I would just make up a snare drum rudimental part and, right. and pretend like I was reading whatever was on the page. And then eventually the band director just called me out and was like, all right, we're going to meet after school and I'm going to teach you how to read, you know? Right. Um, and I'm thankful for that. You know, now I get work because specifically because I can read well, I can really? sight read in a session or on a gig where it's a reading gig. I mean, it happens all the time, actually. Mm. Um, so it's one of those things. I know there are some people who are down on reading and don't like think it's not valuable or you can't make great music if you're reading. It's like, well, newsflash. <laughs> there have been thousands of the greatest recordings ever made where the session musicians are reading mm. or the or any great orchestra of the world or any great pianist or whatever, you know. Um, so reading is extremely valuable there. And, and, you know, there are, there were some other playing things like, um, I remember really having trouble learning how to play quietly. Um, and I worked on it really hard and I, and I was in some, uh, uh groups, like I was in a, a pop strings group where it was, acoustic violin viola cello and bass and then drum set (laughs) so i had to play super quiet right so so that sort of taught me how to be able to do that and now similarly i get called for gigs specifically because people know they can call me to play quietly like in a situation that that requires that and it's because i put that time in 
doing that. And you know, that was a challenge for me. I couldn't do it when I first started. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's easy to play the drums loud. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, there seems like there's a lot of (laughs) just loud drumming going on all the time. Yeah. It's like definitely. Um, so those are a couple of playing things, but then career wise for me, um, I sort of felt like I was hitting a ceiling in Wisconsin a little bit. Like there wasn't a lot of opportunity for national, international work. Um, I mean, there is some of that, but not where I was living really. Um, and, uh, you know, I started playing with some of the like really heavy musicians when I was real young. Um, but the fact of the matter is in a small town, there might be one great saxophonist, whereas you go to a big city and there are 20 or mm-hmm. 50 or 500, depending on the city. Right? right. So I just was starting to feel that I needed to go somewhere um, where I was maybe going to be challenged a little more and, and where the ceiling was higher to kind of get, um, bigger quote unquote gigs. Um, so Austin was the right fit for me for that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I went all around, uh, because so, so for me, and I, I will say this, uh, one of the great benefits of going to a music school is you can really build your network while you're in school and you don't have to full time and try to be a gigging jobbing musician. Uh, you can be in this network of, of people who become your closest friends usually. Um, and you grow up working together and then, and then usually those, those, uh, relationships are maintained as you get into the professional, uh, world. Right. But it's kind of like a safety net to move to a city or it can be. Um, so I auditioned for my master's in all the big cities. I went to New York, LA, um, Miami, Portland, Austin. Um, I didn't actually audition at any schools in Chicago, but I had friends there and I was considering moving there anyway, you know, like the, some of the big programs. Uh And I took a trip to every one of the cities and just kind of checked out the scene. I went out to clubs. I met musicians, just asked them, what's the scene like here? How much are you playing? Are you working a day gig? What are you doing? You know? And, and for me, the situation that, um, that matched the best was Austin, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like just the living situation and the, the music that was happening here and the, uh, the scene in general, um, was the one that I decided to become a part of. And, and, you know, so that was 10 years ago. Um, and now I've just been playing with all kinds of great musicians and, and touring nationally and internationally and doing a bunch of sessions all based out of here, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. that I never would have been able to do if I had stayed in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. I think depending on what your desired outcome is, like if you, at some point I feel like you have to be in some sort of a bigger city, right? unless yeah. like unless you know like if you want to like mike johnston lives in Folsom, you know it's like he's not in a big sure. city and he's pretty far away yeah. from like a major city but he, he teaches online so that's fine and you know talk about somebody who's created something for himself right like mm-hmm. he put so much effort into that and and he was able to create a situation for himself where he can live wherever he wants mm-hmm. and people will come to him and the big thing right. about him specifically was he was like, I don't want to tour. He didn't yeah. like, he didn't like touring. So he was in a band, they sure. were touring, you know, and, 
And he was like, I don't like it. So why keep doing it? And now he, you know, travels on his own terms. He created this thing, you know, makes a ton of money, plays drums every day. You know, not a bad yeah. gig. Yeah. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you would, you would talked about how guys are gigging till they're, you know, in retirement age, but don't have any retirement. What are your thoughts on that of, you know, how to handle that or how are you handling it? Or because, you know, as a freelancer, there's no 401k, there's no health insurance, there's no this, there's no that. Uh, it kind of reminds right. me of the, it, it reminds me of the, uh, of the joke that a, a part-time musician has a day gig to pay the bills, but a full-time musician has a wife to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever hear that before? <laughs> I haven't heard that. It's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. <laughs> and sometimes very true. Sometimes very uh, true indeed. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, I do have a little bit of retirement because I teach at the University of Texas. Okay. So so that's been my teaching gig. This is uh, my eighth year. Um, so that's my like one kind of grown up job. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of retirement and my wife is also a professor um, and so, sh- so together we have some retirement, but you know, it's something that I've been thinking about because I'm also adjunct over at the university. So it's not like I'm, I'm putting away what somebody with a, with a full-time job would be sure. putting away. Um, so, you know, I've got a daughter now who's 19 months and we have a boy on the way. Oh, congratulations. Eight- Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. That changed everything for sure, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing. Um, and so, you know, we're like trying to put money away from, for them. And, and now I'm, I'm like fully into adulthood here and I'm thinking, uh, I need to start making some more moves, uh, financially to, to set myself up in the future. Right. Uh, and it is something like I've lived day to day. I didn't have health insurance for 10 years or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. I just like, just cash gig money, you know, and yeah. paying my bills with that. Right. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm providing for my family, it's like, uh, I am putting some money away in, in some different ways to, to try and, uh, be set for the future, you know? Sure. So, so it is something. And, and another thing, you know, it's like, I, we bought a house a couple of years ago. So, um, that's like a, a financial investment that, especially in a, in a city like Austin, that you'll get some return on, mm-hmm. you know? So instead of just continuing to throw, you know, $1,200 a month in somebody's pocket for renting, uh, I just decided it was time to buy a house, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and it had to do with other circumstances. You know, my wife was seven months pregnant at the time. It was like, okay, we need to get a house and settle right. down. Right. So, so that's another thing that, that some older musicians had told me years ago, like, man, you got to buy a house, like do it now, mm-hmm. you know? And at that time, of course, I didn't have any money saved cause I was playing $50 gigs every night, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so some of those things are kind of coming together and it's, uh, but, it, but it is something I'm more aware of now than ever. And I've seen it happen. I mean, every six months or so there's a benefit for, for like a, a veteran musician in town yep. whose health is failing and doesn't have any health insurance, doesn't have any savings. Yep. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get caught there no. someday. I see that. You know? I, I see the the same thing, you know, everybody does yeah. where it's like this person does. And it can be guys in like notable bands. 
Yeah, you know, definitely. and they don't have health insurance, so they don't have any. They don't have any money in the bank. So what what moves what moves do you think that that you would make without getting like super you know personal and 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 uh, I don't want to like dive into your finances by any means, but like sure. what are you what are you thinking in terms of does that mean like you know getting a full time gig as a professor touring less? Does it mean you know uh, starting a a business doing something that has to do with drumming? Like what does what what are your thoughts there? Um, well, for me, I'm just kind of rolling with what's happening right now. So like right now I'm playing full time with an artist named Bob Schneider mm-hmm. and, and, um, and we work maybe a hundred or 150 dates a year. Um, and then I'm teaching at the university and I'm teaching some private lessons and I'm taking not as many other gigs as I used to, uh, before my daughter was born, uh, really was, that was a big turning point. Um, but so I'm still working a lot. Um, and I'm not having to do much to, to be able to maintain that income. It's just, it's kind of like a a steady full-time gig right now. Um, so really the only difference is that I'm putting that money into, uh, like I said, instead of rent, I'm putting it into escrow, you know, mm-hmm. um, or putting money into savings for my daughter or savings for retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I haven't really changed anything. I mean, I guess I have to sort of make some decisions like, am I going to play with a, with a songwriter like Bob, or am I going to play, uh, like, you know, art jazz gigs? Right. You know, uh, and, and for me to be able to save money and, and pay for the house and raise my family, I can't just do the art jazz gigs anymore, you know? So those are some decisions that I had to make. Um, but in terms of, uh, like creating a, you know, an online music school or something like that, I'm not, I'm not really looking at doing anything like that. I did write a book, and that's that has been one of the biggest projects that I've been working on recently. But but that wasn't even a financial thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just because I wanted to get that information out there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So so yeah, I guess I've been fortunate to be able to play constantly my whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, be able to always gig. Um, and sometimes, uh, literally as many as 10 gigs a week, right? you know? Wow. Um, yeah. And always pretty steadily, but, but the way that happens, like here's my real, uh, 401k for, for right now, <laughs> I show up on time. I learn the music ahead of time. I can play, um, pretty authentically in almost any style that I'm going to get called to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be cool. I'm not going to yell at anybody or cuss anybody out, uh, in the, in the establishment or the, Mm. on the tour bus or whatever, you know, I don't have a drug habit. I don't like, (laughs) so, so that, so this is, this is like my, uh, retirement plan, right. Is to, to be the person who is reliable all the time in a wide variety of musical, uh, situations, Mm -hmm. And it's worked. I mean, I've never, I've never been hungry for gigs ever in my life. I I have said no to more gigs than I've said yes to probably in my entire life. That's right. So so I've been lucky to be in demand, but it didn't happen by accident. You know, I was going to say, I I don't think it's luck. (laughs) 
Yeah, right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, so I've I've been uh, like careful about how I present myself and what I work on, and you know, uh, all of that. It mm-hmm. all it all ties in. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you can probably attest to this too. That I think it's even more so comes down to the fact that you're on time, that you're cool, right. that you can get that you're you know they can get along with you on the bus that you're uh-huh. you don't have a drug addict or drug habit you're you know you're easy to work with oh it doesn't hurt that you can play your ass off too right well that's and that part goes without saying mm-hmm. you have to be able to play great and it's like i said i practiced five hours a day for i don't know eight years or something i probably practiced three hours a day for like six years and then five hours a day for you know, five years or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, and those days, by the way, are gone. (laughs) Yeah. I'm lucky if I can practice for an hour now Yeah, having kids and having a full teaching studio and gigging all the time and the the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I did it when I had time to do it. Yep. And so I worked most of that out. Not that I'm not still working because I am, I'm still practicing. Uh, I'm still taking lessons. I've got a lesson booked Next week in New Orleans, I'm going to be there on tour. And so I just booked a lesson, you know, uh, like awesome. I, I'm a student of the instrument, right? Like I always want to get better and I want to continue to learn. Do you study with New Orleans? Um, Shannon Powell, nice. you know, Shannon. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm friends with Stanton and we're going to hang when I'm there and, and I've studied with Johnny V too. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody kind of says, if you want to learn the real, like, traditional old school new orleans stuff you got to go to shannon Powell. yeah Yeah. (laughs) right or he's one of a couple of guys but definitely he's an authority on it and that's the way i've sort of uh approached my playing like you know i sought out the guys who i wanted to study with Mm -hmm. um and so i've been fortunate to be able to study with my heroes guys like bill stewart and jeff hamilton and matt wilson carl allen todd suckerman you know all these guys i Uh, and there's, by the way, the list is way longer than that, but I'm an advocate of, of seeking out the people who you love the way they play and take a lesson with them. Yeah. You know, and you will learn something. I mean, it's expensive. That hour is expensive, Mm -hmm. but you will learn something. You will take something from that experience that will stay with you forever. 100%. You know, 100% man. And the reason rewinding a little bit, the reason why I was asking about, you know, retirement 401k, blah, 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 blah. I have this big thing where if I have a thing, I have an issue with people wearing it like a badge of honor that they play quote unquote, they, they're a full-time musician and uh-huh. they have three gigs a month. They can't pay their bills and they're like letting people down who depend on them. And I'm like, just go get a job, man. There's nothing like it's yeah. cool. It's cool. You can go do that. And no one's going to, no one's going to shame you for that. And no one's going to think that you're any less of a musician or a professional or anything like that. If, if you, you know, if you have a day gig, so that doesn't matter. And that's, and so I was thinking like, okay, I was asking you about it. Like, okay, what are some, maybe some suggestions and and things like that? Um, But also like, yeah, just go get a job. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it it. came to a point where I had to do that, I would certainly do it. Yeah. It's just that I've, I've, uh, you know, spent my life carving out a career so that I can do the things I want to do, which is play and teach. Right. And not that I was insinuating you're doing that. I was just, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about PASIC a little bit. Um, I thought, I I thought it was, I watched the whole, the, uh, the clinic video, but 
how did that whole thing come about and how do you prepare for something like that? Cause that's gotta be, that's gotta be nerve wracking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, man. So, uh, so as I mentioned, I wrote this book and, um, so my pace at clinic was basically, um, just introducing the book, uh, and, and presenting the, the main concepts from that book. Um, so what I did to prepare for that, you know, they, they have a pretty serious, like, um, vetting process for, for, uh, applying and everything. Um, you need to apply and there's like a whole panel of people who can choose and then it goes to a higher tier and then they can choose and then it goes to, to the way top guys, you know? So, right. so it's actually pretty hard to get in. I think it's crazy um, that you have to apply in like, in by like December for the next year, which, and it's in yeah, November yeah, yeah. of the next year. And you're like, totally. Oh, it it's, takes a it's long past. time. Yeah. The submission time is past. You're like, what? The PASIC was just over. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was fortunate to be chosen to, to do a clinic. And, and so to prepare for it, um, I mean, obviously I wrote the book, so I, I know what it is, Right. but, uh, I worked really hard to get a very concise and clear, 50 minutes. Cause that's how long I had at PASIC. So, so I practiced literally the clinic that I was going to do at PASIC. I, I, I sort of laid it out from, from chapters in the book and, and I would put a, t- a, a timer on and I would practice it at home mm-hmm. by myself. And I would speak as if I was speaking, uh, to the audience. And then I booked a clinic tour. So I had, the chance to actually do the clinic. And I did, uh, I don't know what it was, maybe seven or eight clinics around the country. Um, and really it was just to prep for that PASIC clinic. So by the time I got to PASIC, um, I was super comfortable with the material and the transitions and the play alongs that I was using and the equipment speaking on the mic, mm-hmm. um, all the, all the little things that you don't really think about. Um, I had practiced them all and sort of worked it out. So my PASIC clinic was like incredibly successful. I, I brought 50 books. Uh, and by the way, I, I did the book on my own and I'm, I, you can only get it from me. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not available anywhere. It's self-published, you know? So, so I brought a suitcase full of books. I brought 50 with me. And as soon as the clinic was done, they, people just stormed the stage. Like literally I sold out of books immediately after my clinic. That's so It was awesome. amazing. I know. I couldn't believe it. I was like, just, you know, stunned. Uh, but I'm super thankful for it. And it's something that I've been doing for a long time. Um, maybe like seven or eight years I've been teaching this concept. And by the way, the concepts are not new. There are no new concepts really in, in drumming or in music. I, I think, um, so the, the, the gist of the book is that, uh, it's called developing melodic language on the drums. So the idea is that you take um, melodic content from tunes and use that to start building vocabulary, whether it's time playing, comping vocabulary, or improvisational vocabulary, right? Um, and I had, you know, when I was real young, I had studied with drummers like I mentioned Jeff Hamilton or Matt Wilson or Carl Allen. And I've seen all those guys play melodies on the drums. Ari Honig is another guy, a modern guy, who's like taking it to a crazy yeah. new level. But yeah. it goes back to like, you know, Baby Dodds and, and, and Papa Joe, Max Roach. Those guys were all playing melodic content. They're playing even somebody like 
bottom, you know, he's playing themes and he's varying the themes. He's playing melodically around the kit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I came up with a process for developing this, this language. And I started using it in lessons, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago. And, and I just found that it was the fastest way to get literally a beginning student in one, one hour lesson to get a beginning student to be able to improvise over a form, like improvise a solo over the blues and be successful at it. Like I had never found anything else that, that like was so effective. And, and I taught it for, for years and I had many students who were all learning melodies, sing the melody, you play it on the snare drum, play it in two voices between the kick and snare, move it around to the toms, you know, all this stuff. Um, and it was just opening up so much creativity in my students and reinforcing their knowledge of, of actually knowing tunes and also, um, reinforcing their ability to play within a form, which is huge in drumming. Like people forget, you know, we're marking the form, we're playing the tune. Right. Um, so, so I just decided, okay, I'm going to get this down on paper. And over the course of maybe about five years, you know, it started as I was just writing it out as exercises to give to my students. Right. And then eventually I decided, okay, I'm going to put this all into a book. And so 84 pages later and five years (laughs) later and all this editing and all this stuff, the book is finally done and it's available. And, and I filmed videos and I, uh, made recordings. I I wrote original music to, to, uh, do the videos and the audio recordings. And then I also have, uh, play along drumless tracks available with the, so it was a big undertaking, but I'm really glad I did it, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you did too. I got to pick up a copy. I, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated with melody, form, voicings. The funny thing yeah. is that when I learned, when I learned about form, like actually learning form of tunes, like it totally blew my mind. Sure. Where I was like, how did I, yeah. not, how did I not even, how did I not know this? Well, and the other thing is once you figure it out and then you realize that that's what the greats are doing. Like you listen to a, like an Elvin Jones solo and it's like, okay, I can't even find where the beat is. And then you realize, oh my God, he's playing over the form. Like he's marking the melody and he's playing the tune or somebody like Bill Stewart playing that ridiculous, uh, solo, uh, on the trio 99 Pat Metheny record. I don't know if you know that record, but mm, I don't. man, he takes this solo on a tune called question and answer. And it is like, outrageous it's the most ridiculous stuff you could hear somebody play on the drums and then you realize he played it over the form perfectly three choruses Hmm. and just and pat comes in boom on one and that's a live record they didn't piece that together yeah it's outrageous there's no overdubbing Uh, here (laughs) yeah exactly so i mean uh, you realize that all the greatest drummers are were doing this well, especially in the jazz world. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's a different thing with with kind of groove players, and maybe it's not as much about the melody, but it can be about the melody of the groove yeah. because they're creating a part between the bass drum, snare drum, and hi hat that is the song. Right. You know, 
Right. So, so it definitely applies to groove too. And I have sections kind of dealing with that. There's a, there's a chapter called concepts for improvisation. Cause that's the thing is like, okay, we're, you learn the tune and then you, uh, you play it on the snare drum and you move it around the drums. Okay. That's all fine. But now how do you improvise? What do you play? Right. 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 So I did a whole chapter on, um, concepts for improvisation. So what do you, what can you change you can add notes, you can take away notes, you can change the subdivision, you can change the feel, you can change the texture, um, uh, you can change the dynamic or the articulation or the note length, all this stuff, you know? And so I just categorized it down and put some exercises together using all that stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a whole nother level from this is the beat <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the beat to the song. Here we go. <laughs> right. It's like a whole world of music making and creativity and art. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been really inspiring to have my students just like knocking this stuff out. And, uh, I've gotten really great feedback on it. Uh, modern drummer is going to review the book coming up here. I mean, it just came out. I, I basically just released it at PASIC. So okay. that was just two months ago. Right. So right, right, right. it hasn't been out for very long, but, but I've been getting really good feedback on it. And, um, and it's tried and true, you know, these are things that I've been teaching for years. Uh, yeah. It's not just like, oh, I want to put out a book because because whatever. I want to put out a book. Right. <laughs> you know? That's all. I can't. I can't wait to check it out, man. I'm pumped. Yeah, I'll uh, text me your address. I'll, I'll send you a copy. Oh, thank you, man. You don't have to yeah. do that. No problem. I mean, I've I've learned a ton from listening to this podcast over the years, so I'm indebted to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and uh, it's guys like you who who take the time to chat that makes this podcast what it is. The people listening, so, I'm just the conduit, man. There's like the people listening yeah. <laughs> and the people on the podcast who are talking, and I'm just the guy that's facilitating all of it. So that's all I'm doing. Um, so if people want to study with you, do you, so outside of Austin, do you, do you do Skype lessons? Do you teach on the road? All that kind of stuff? I do. I do Skype lessons sometimes. It's not my preferred way of teaching, uh, okay. but it's definitely possible. And I do it sometimes like, you know, teaching at the university, uh, I'm touring sometimes for weeks at a time. So, mm-hmm. so sometimes I have to actually do my lessons from the road via Skype, like in Europe from my hotel room at like, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do that sometimes and I do teach on the road uh, a bit. It just depends on the schedule, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, touring is, is full time, you know, and, and a lot of times there's not quite enough time depending on how long the drives are or when the flights are getting in or whatever. But, but it's possible. I definitely have taught in cities all over the country and and around the world if I can squeeze it in. Cool. So where do you want people to go to find you? Just go to your website or on social? Yeah, my, my website, I mean, I'm on social media too, but, but most of my lesson inquiries come through my website and that's also where you can order the book from me. So it's, it's just Wayne Salzman.com W A Y N E S A L Z M A N N.com two N's. That's the tricky part. Or, you know, how long is uh, that haunted? Long... I mean, does that haunted you forever? Oh man, I get, I get one N or Saltzman with a T or yeah. all kinds of stuff. I get, all, um, everybody thinks my last name is Graffini because I say I'm Nick Graffini. Oh, Nick. Gra- I see. I get it all yeah. the time, man. Or Nick. Interesting. Rusini with two S's. I 
it's so i feel your pain is what i'm trying to say yeah totally <laughs> well and the other thing that i tell people is if if you google wayne drummer austin i think i'm the only one really <laughs> i think i mean it, it just comes up right away nice. but but yeah and i'm on social media i'm i'm on instagram just under my own name and and facebook although i think i'm at my limit on facebook but but anyway, well, I'll link up to all that stuff too, so people can people can find that easily, and then when we release it, I'll you'll be tagged in it and all that stuff too. So yeah, great. People will be able to find you easily. Um, but I want to first of all, I want to thank you for doing this, for taking the time to chat. I know you're a busy, dude. Uh, yeah, also, absolutely. I want to thank you because you connected me with some other drummers who are going to be on the podcast yeah. as well. So I want to thank you. I want to publicly thank you for that. Uh, because sure. getting some of, some of those guys like JJ Johnson and and uh, and Chris Layton like amazing. Yeah. So yeah, those guys are my buds, and and uh, you know people should hear their stories, man. They're yeah. they're fun to talk to. Sure. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad that it that it worked out. Yeah, and I do I do appreciate that. Like I said, I wanted to publicly thank you for that. And uh, man, continued success, brother. You've been you're killing it. I can't wait to check out the book and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me of course man anytime so there you have it the one and only wayne salzman i hope that you dug that i hope you got some nuggets from that and i love featuring guys like this because this is someone who again may not be the biggest name in the business but is out there killing it every day and gives you a different perspective what guys unlike you know the josh freezes and the steve gads in the world that can do this they're doing it at a very high level they're doing it as a career and hopefully that gave you some information and also some inspiration, a little bit of motivation to go out there and do it yourself. Hope you dug it. You can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 376 to get all the show notes for everything that we talked about. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.